Hello, everyone. You are listening to Diverse Roots, a podcast all about the unique career journeys in science and medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Cassie Briggs, and in each episode, I'm joined by a successful professional who shares their career journey, lessons learned, and advice for aspiring scientists like yourself. So whether you're on your commute, working out, or doing some chores, prepare to be inspired. Jacqueline Dresser is a land surveyor at T.G. Miller PC, and just after recording this interview, she passed her final exam for licensure, which arguably is equivalent to passing the bar to become a lawyer. So way to go, Jackie. Jackie earned a Bachelor of Science degree in land surveying from Alfred State College, and following graduation and a brief stint in New York City, she transitioned to research in a precision viniculture program, Efficient Vineyard, with Cornell University helping wineries collect, analyze, and apply spatial data to their agricultural practices. From the country to the city, from the U.S. to Europe, from surveying to winemaking and back to surveying again, this episode shares a full circle journey from someone who is so deeply aware of who they are, their strengths and their shortcomings, that you can't help but be in awe of their self-awareness and self-realization. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, from broadly applicable life lessons to specifics about the day-to-day work as a surveyor. If you have no idea what you want to do for a career, you need to hear this story. If you're debating between further education or on-the-ground job experience, you need to hear this story. And if you're sick of submitting application after application with no interview invitations, you need to hear this story. You'll be glad you did. Hello, Jackie. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Honored to be here. All right. So before we jump in to the questions, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. My name is Jackie Dresser. Um, You'll notice I have uh, one last name in common with Cassie Dresser Briggs. Um, We are sisters. And um, it's really interesting on this Diverse Roots podcast that our roots have a lot in common, but our R-O-U-T-E-S roots have been very different and sort of uh, landed us in in interesting and diverse places. So I'm really excited to get into that today. I love that analogy that you use there with roots versus roots, um, because that's so true. And that's important for our listeners, too, because some of us have grown up in the same household and we have different passions, as we should. And so it's easy to kind of feel pressured or cornered into a particular path because someone you know, your older sibling did something. And I think this is a, an important podcast to hear about the diverse journeys that you could have, even from a similar upbringing. So I'm so glad you took the time to chat with us today. So can you tell us what was the very first thing you remember wanting to be when you grew up? Gosh, yeah, I don't, I don't think there was one career that I aspired to, but Remember when we used to play um, sort of a pretend game where we would turn our respective bedrooms into fictional apartments and we would go visit each other and knock on the door and sort of like prepare a a fake meal for each other. I think back then, all I wanted to be was older. I just wanted to be grown up so desperately. And I think the audience for this podcast can probably identify with that a lot. You know, a lot of us spend a lot of time daydreaming into the future and just wanting to be somewhere where we're not yet. And I think being goal oriented is really important and it helps us, you know, stay the course and and have purpose in life. 
But I also think it's really important to just acknowledge that where we are today and who we are today is something really special. And if we sort of lose sight of that, it's really easy to just let your entire life and even your career pass you by and just say, wow, what happened? You know? So true. And it's funny. I actually thought you were going to say a lifelong learner (laughs) thinking about, all right, so you pursued your education, but then on top of that, you wanted to learn about how to develop land and build up this new building with timber framing. And you learned all the ins and outs about all this other stuff that was well outside your career path, but you were just genuinely interested, right? So um, that's what made me think of a lifelong learner. Yeah, I think, you know, our lives sort of run in parallel sometimes. We have our professional career life and then we have our personal lives, but, you know, they're really not separate things. And when we show up to our job, you know, we're, we're not robots yet. <laughs> we're still humans. So we sort of bring everything from our personal journey into our professional journey and vice versa. And, you know, a lot of my both professional and personal life right now is, is tied to land. You know, our, our personal building up of our homestead is really tied to the land. And also my profession is really tied to the land. Um, I'm a land surveyor. And uh, speaking of spiral paths, my, my path to and away and back to this profession uh, began in the household, really. Um, Cassie and I grew up in a split household and we visited my dad frequently, but still, you know, not living full time with him. I think there was, as an adolescent self, there was this like reaching for more uh, in terms of relationship with my father. And I sort of uh, was wise to the fact that he spent a, a good deal of time at work. And uh, if I could spend some work time with him, then that'd be more time. And so that's sort of, as a teenager, how I started working in land surveying and, and just had a summer job working with my father at his small company. And it was interesting as I was applying to schools for um, undergraduate I had no idea what I wanted to do, honestly. I I knew what I was good at. I was a good student, played three sports, did all sorts of extracurriculars, and I'm sure my application to college looked great on paper, but the journey I was going through internally was one of of feeling so much pressure. You know, what am I what am I gonna do? Take on tens of thousands of dollars in student loans and have a degree and, and not really know where that's sending me next. And so my boss at the time who was an Alfred State surveying graduate from actually the first surveying class that that school graduated, he said, put it on your list. And I said, Al, I don't know if I want to be a surveyor. I, you know, I don't know if I'm good at this. Like, you know, the mission was to spend time with my dad. I think I've fulfilled that. You know, we have a great relationship we've built through doing this work together. And I think I'm really complete with that at this point as a, you know, wise senior in high school, junior in high school. But I applied anyway, and Alfred State being a SUNY school, um, State University of New York, and myself being a New York State resident, they offered me a full tuition, room and board scholarship, and the basketball coach said I could play basketball, which, you know, was my living, breathing passion at that point. So sort of all the the pieces fell together, and I ended up getting a four-year degree in land surveying without really any intention of pursuing that as a career. So the spinoff from surveying and having an ABET accredited degree was 
um, actually an application into vineyards. So I grew up with Cassie in the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York, and we're sort of an up and coming wine region for sure. Plenty of people I know knew in high school as well, um, worked in vineyards. So, and I had some surveying clients from high school that owned vineyards. So it was a sort of a short list for me to call around and get a summer job, um, working in a vineyard, um, and in a tasting room, sort of small businesses, you end up doing everything. So I worked selling wine on the road, working in the tasting room, making wine in the cellar as an assistant winemaker and sort of just a cellar rat. They call us, um, you know, pulling hoses, doing all the, doing all the work to ferment the juice and turn it into wine. And that's a really cool sort of, um, alchemy that happens there. And I wove in my surveying skills because precision agriculture was just sort of starting to creep in to the local vineyard management practices and having a knowledge of GIS and just an understanding of, of spatial data and precise measurements over land areas it, it transferred really beautifully, and, and I was able to end up working in academic research with Cornell University for five beautiful years. Uh, we had a project with the moniker Efficient Vineyard, and I put that link in the show notes. So if anyone wants to check it out, we did a ton of video content and webinars that will probably live in perpetuity. So um, that was just a really fun time. And I thought then that I had found my passion and this was what I was going to do the rest of my life. I was sure of it. And it was just a really interesting turn of events. Um, The land surveying profession is sort of experiencing this interesting transition time where, at least in New York State, where I understand the statistics, both the mean and median age of a surveyor in New York State is almost 70 years old. And there's a major decline in numbers and an increase in demand as a lot of real estate transactions are happening, especially in the wake of the pandemic. And a lot of people are moving out of major cities and and especially upstate from from New York City and and the boroughs moving upstate in New York. So we're seeing a lot more demand for surveying and fewer practitioners. And so my I had done some recruiting efforts with my father back at Alfred State trying to get some some uh, new help for his company. And there really just wasn't that much traction. So he started to work on me for uh, several months. And I found at least four hard no's to coming back to surveying. And as I said, you know, I was really passionate about working in, in vineyard management and precision viticulture. And at that point, um, it really became a decision about, about family, about relationships. And <clears throat> relationships have really brought every professional opportunity I've experienced to me. And I felt like this was time for me to sort of pay it back. And I did have the degree, which allowed me to pursue licen- licensure pretty readily, um, and so I decided to come back to surveying about three years ago now. Wow, time flies. And I couldn't be happier. I, I really think it was the right decision on so many levels. And I think it's just a really good example of how our paths can take this spiral shape. And you really can never predict what's around the next corner. And never say never, because I guess the only time to say never is that you never know. <laughs> Uh, Well said. And what a perfect illustration of the importance of incorporating your personal goals with your professional goals. Mm -hmm. 
because if it was based only on your professional goals, you probably would have stayed in viniculture, right? But because your personal goals are intertwined and so much a part of your journey, it brought you back into surveying. So family obviously has been a big component of your decision-making. And that's one type of relationship. And it's clear to me and hopefully to listeners that relationships are so important moving forward and going through your career path. And we really can't do it alone. And so are there any key people along your journey that have really helped mentor you? And how did those relationships start? Oh, sure. Not only mentor, but connect. The people are so important, but it's really like how they moved the pieces on the chessboard for me behind the scenes and that I couldn't even see. And one example of that, so I mentioned I, I used to sell wine on the road. So as a, as a farm winery, we sold wholesale to a distributor and we would go on, they would call them work withs and the distributor would have their salesperson who would do, you know, the deal making, the money exchanging. I would just show the wines. And there's this one woman, Jane Murray, who was an incredible person, expert in wine. She ran vineyards in Long Island for 20 years and knows her stuff on the farm as well as in the bottle, which is sort of a rare thing. And she introduced me to the research that was happening at Cornell. And she emailed me an article about a grant that a person I had met, a, a professional at Cornell, had received this grant money. And I said, oh, Dr. Terry Bates, I remember him. Oh, Dr. James Taylor, I remember him. I'd, I'd gone to sort of scope out some sensor technology that we were employing at the farm winery. And they were great. I met him for one day, but we had a, a really interesting conversation you know, and a year, two years later, maybe Jane Murray sends me this article and I just, I still had an email address for Dr. Bates. So I sent him a quick email and I just said, Hey, congratulations on this grant money. I know you've been working at this a long time. So he finally had this grant money come through quick email to say, Hey, congratulations. And that turned into a position on his project and, and the Dr. James Taylor that I mentioned was his postdoc who had then taken a position at Newcastle University in the UK. And not 15 minutes after I sent that email, did I get one asking me to be part of the project, which led to that five-year stint and so much fun on that research project start to finish. And at just such expansive learning and working with an amazing team of people, um, that was that was huge. So I guess, you know, my advice to listeners here who we are all trying to find our way in this world, but perhaps you are too, and sort of wondering what your next step is, just don't discount anyone in your email contact list. Don't discount anyone you've ever shaken a hand with at a conference. I mean, we use this term networking, and I think that's a somewhat sterile term. I don't think it really hits at the heart of it. I think how I look at it is that every single person who walks by you anonymous or not, you know, it's your choice and their choice, whether to take that anonymity to familiarity or even beyond that. But you never know who, you know, how an acquaintance might turn into a key person in your life and on your journey. And you may be a key person to someone else and be able to offer an opportunity through the grapevine. 
So I think just, just nurturing those relationships, following up, that's really important. And just noticing when someone else may be experiencing a milestone in their career that you can acknowledge and, and, you know, that may spin off to a chance for you to collaborate with them or you to connect them with someone else that you know who they need on their team. So um, I think it's just this, it's this web we weave of relationships and, you know, it, it really does nourish the career path to just keep those ties um, strong and, and strengthen them over time and sort of keep them connected. That's so true. And I just want to highlight one of the points you made in that networking to some can feel like a very scary, intimidating word, but really it's just having conversations, meeting people, putting yourself out there. And for you, it's not like you asked, oh, you got this grant. Can I have a position in your lab or research team working on this? No, it was a simple congratulations. There was no expectation behind it, but they knew your character and they knew your skill set. And so back they came with the offer without you even asking. And so that's an avenue that I think very few people think about in terms of landing an opportunity. And sometimes you don't even have to ask for it if you've built a relationship. Yeah, that's a really good point. And to a person who sort of struggles to put themselves out there in a networking scenario, um, I mean, I have to confess fully, I was sort of born as someone who is just fairly sure of themselves, you know, maybe somewhat excessively so. And I sort of have a, a built-in confidence that's just always been in my blood. So that's not a battle I personally fight. But I would say as someone who meets a lot of people and some that may be a little bit more introverted or reserved, I think from my perspective, every person that I meet, regardless of where they are on their career journey or how closely linked I think it is to my own, I truly believe that everyone I meet has something to offer. Everyone I meet is experiencing a life and a story as complex as my own. And that exchange and that sharing is so valuable. So just don't discount what you have to offer, even if you're early in your career, because someone that's been doing the same, you know, in the same occupation for 30, 35 years, meeting someone just starting out and getting to share your knowledge and wisdom and experience for someone who will benefit from that is such a rewarding experience. You know, I'm finally at the point in my career where I'm starting to, to train and mentor younger surveyors who are coming up. And it's, it's just, it's a, an exchange. And regardless of where you are and which side of it you're on, like it is a balanced exchange. And it's the same thing with interviewing. We've talked this to death cast, but you know, an interview is for both people. And I think we forget that. And there's this somewhat um, larger ethos in, in our professional society where, you know, the employer is the one in the position of power and you want something from them. But I, I think we are starting to shift that paradigm and that way of thinking. But it really is a conversational exchange. And even as an early career member of an organization, you are absolutely vital to everything that's happening there. Even if you're not in the position of utmost responsibility and calling the shots and taking on all the liability for those decisions, you know, it like nothing works without a team. Mm -hmm. And the strength of that team is all of its members working together, communicating together and relying on each other. So 
yeah, I would just say don't discount yourself. Yeah. And I want to go back and touch on something you said about everybody that you cross paths with. I mean, it could be somebody you meet at the grocery store. Everybody has something to contribute and it's up to us to see that contribution. And that's really because we're multidimensional people. All right. So this may be a different story for you since uh, you knew your boss when you got your current position. Uh, But can you tell us a little bit about for you, instead of that traditional application interview process, what was it like to come through a different door to get a job? Yeah. And I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever filled out a job application in my life. I've had many jobs. Um, All of them stemmed from a relationship that began with conversation. And, you know, maybe there was paperwork to get to the onboarding point, but anytime I've ever really sat down to interview for something, I wasn't biting my nails over whether or not I was going to get the job um, because that conversation had already sort of happened. And and this was more of the exploration part, um, the exchange part. But Yeah, I think, you know, not only did I know my first boss pretty well, at least in a way, I mean, we got to know each other on a very different level working together each day. But um, I think that each person that would end up later being my boss began as a handshake, acquaintance, perhaps, you know, friend, um, and then landed into a boss. And one example of that was um, probably my favorite boss ever. Don't tell my dad. Um, he's a great boss, but, um, Mandy Ozer, she is the owner of Ardesia wine bar in Hell's Kitchen, New York city. And I met Mandy through a work with where a local organization in the Finger Lakes wine trail would take restaurant owners, uh, retail wine shop owners from New York city and bring them up during harvest to work in the wine cellars along with us. And Mandy and I had the best time ever. We just, we really connected so well in the two days that she spent with me. And I, you know, that was another person where who would know what it would turn into. Um, And there was a period in my life where I decided to move downstate and there were two phone calls I made. One was to Mandy Ozer to sit down and have lunch with her. And another one was to a, a fellow who had bought wine grapes from us who owned a winery. Well, he was a winemaker actually at a winery in Brooklyn. And so those are my two phone calls and both of them landed into positions at their relative companies. And it's just interesting how, yeah, there really wasn't an interview process per se. It was more, we had lunch, we talked. And at that point, Mandy was opening another, um, another restaurant wine bar in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And she really needed help kind of keeping her her home business that she'd built in Hell's Kitchen running well while she focused some of her energy on starting something new. And she's, she was just a fantastic employer that began as someone I, you know, I met in an, a non-traditional setting. So just, just sort of another example of how a relationship could grow into something more. And what an inspiration to see someone like that. And you touched on um, the fact that she was a female business owner. So perhaps this is a good time to kind of talk about what it's been like for you being in a fairly male-dominated field in surveying. This is an interesting question. In college, um, being one of the only 
you know, cis female uh, people in the curriculum at the time. I think there might have been three in all four years when I was going there. Um, we were recruited really heavily by government organizations for, for surveying because there, there's more money in, in the world for people who hire. It, it's called MBEs. Um, I was faced with that a lot, but it was interesting because every invitation I had to join a women in engineering club or some sort of organization, I really resisted it at the time. And putting myself back in the head of my college self my opinion at the time was that if there's no difference between men and women and we're both equal in the workforce, then it shouldn't be highlighted at all. It should, you know, we shouldn't even talk about it. Basically, it was my opinion then. And I didn't join any of those clubs and I did not pursue any of those fancy job offers that were given to me on the premise of being a woman. And I have come to grips with the fact that it's different. It, it certainly is different. Um, but I would say that each person on earth is different. Everyone's story is unique. And I think it's just, it's an opportunity for us all to kind of operate with a little bit more openness and compassion in the way we expect other people to show up at their jobs and the way that they are going to solve problems and the way that they are going to be affected by certain ways that we use language in the workplace. And I, I think that doesn't just go for women. It, it goes for anyone. It's important that you highlighted that. But I also think it's important, too, that people who identify as a woman interested in a field like surveying sees people like you in that field being successful, because that makes you feel a sense of belonging and that you have a place in that in that as well. Well, it's sort of when you when you see someone who looks like you or not even that looks like you, but someone that you can identify with that's in a position that you aspire to someday hold yourself. I think even just just looking at it from a neuroscientific point of view, it allows your subconscious to make the shift to believe that's possible for yourself. Absolutely. And but making sure that the culture and the resources are there to help sustain that diversity. So, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we left the space to have that conversation and talk about those things. Um, but I certainly do want to get back to what our listeners tuned in for, um, because we're talking about land surveying today as our focus. And that's because it's one of those fields that I have clients come to me and they say, listen, I love, love math. I love solving problems, but I hate computers and I hate being in front of a desk 24-7. Is there a career for me where I can be outside and do math? And so um, let's hear a little bit more about what you do in your role as a land surveyor. Uh, the thing that I love most about land surveying is that it really does have something to offer just about anyone. If you are someone that wants to spend let's say 100% of your time in the field, rain or shine, and you don't want to sit at a desk, there's something for you in land surveying. You can be a field specialist for your entire career. You don't even have to pursue licensure. And you can have a beautiful, rewarding career in this field, strictly being outside. Um, conversely, if you're someone like me, who has 
maybe a flattering way to, or a non-flattering way to put it would be professional ADD. I really enjoy starting something new a lot. Um, that's part of my human design. If you haven't looked into human design, I recommend it as a, just another lens to get to know yourself through. Um, but I'm a manifesting generator in human design. And part of that is I'm very good at initiating and sort of bringing something together to start a project. Not so great at tying up the loose ends and bringing it to completion. In that, I, I need to enlist help. So our firm is uh, part engineering and part surveying. And you know, I always say the engineers are opening the same AutoCAD file every day for six, eight months. And that would drive me insane. Um, I'm managing... You know, at any given time, I probably have about 50 open projects that, that I'm at point for. And I really enjoy that constant change, constant, you know, new clients, new site. And I work in the Finger Lakes, which I truly believe is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And I've traveled a lot. Um, and I really love getting to see somewhere new, meet the landowner of that place or, you know, someone connected to that land in some way. Um, that is really nourishing for me. Um, getting to, you know, every land title chain is is a different little puzzle and story. And working in New York State, which is one of the original colonies, it, that historical point of view is really interesting to kind of take that land title forward and get to know that, that piece of land's story, which certainly predates um, settlers to this country, as we all know. But um, yeah, and the other thing I, I really enjoy is Land is so important and home is so important. And knowing the boundary of that is actually really valuable. And I've seen, you know, neighbors who might have had a somewhat contested relationship with each other, being able to come in as a, a third party, you know, professionally licensed. I'm, I'm on the cusp of that myself. Um, but, you know, a, a qualified professional, non-biased coming into a situation over a boundary line and getting to help that situation find a resolution. Here is an invisible line between two points that represents where your kingdom stops and theirs begins. And I've seen that actually create a lot of peace and respect among people. And I think the way it's set up that surveyors sort of come in to do that boundary determination is, is actually really valuable to society. Um, that's, it's something I've grappled with a little bit because in a way, um, I think spiritually, I, I more identify with the indigenous way of thinking about land that it was here before we were born and it'll be here when we're gone. And our job is to steward it forward. But I do think the sort of English common law that's morphed into our law here around land title, um, it does have a benefit in terms of just like keeping the peace and allowing there to just be, you know, order between people. And I really enjoy that element of it. Um, but for someone that really enjoys math and computer-aided drafting, there's so much in terms of, uh, you know, all that stuff you said in high school about trigonometry that you'd never use in real life. You use that and you will be tested on it old school, even though you do have a field computer to help facilitate those calculations. But there's certainly a lot of chasing numbers around, um, a lot of orienting yourself in the world and, you know, knowing where North is all the time, that's important. And, um, so it's, yeah, those historical elements, the analysis, um, I love the, the client interactions that we face and, and that's just the boundary part of surveying. I mean, if, if you want to get into construction layout, 
there's this really cool intersection of where an architectural drawing meets the ground and becomes a building. And you are the facilitator of that translation of something in computer world becoming real on the ground and, and helping those construction crews build a safe building that matches the architectural drawings um, or sometimes doesn't. You know, sometimes there are issues or mistakes that are caught in that process that actually um, end up providing value to both sides of that scenario. Um, in the in the world of UAVs, drones, you may call them, there is a burgeoning uh, drone silo of surveying that is uh, something that if you know if you want to be a pilot, you can participate in, in photogrammetry, which is where you actually fly a flip fixed wing plane and and put a measurement sensor of some sort on the bottom of it. And you can analyze that data. I, I mean, the, the breadth of this field is huge and the, but not a lot of people know about it. And it's just this, this interesting thing. And I will say just as an early career member in surveying, I think cumulatively, I have about nine years of experience now. Um, it's a really good time to be getting into surveying. And I think, um, both in terms of the exchange monetarily for the value of what you can offer this profession as a young person now. I mean, there are people leaving this industry because they're aging out of it. And it's just a great time to be coming up in, in this field. And I think if, if you want to carve a niche for yourself, either you just want to do boundary surveys and you want to work for yourself and you really enjoy, you see yourself as a sole proprietor you can really be successful doing that. One of my former housemates in college, he's a one-man show, and he has a robotic total station and a, a GNSS, um, you, GPS you could call it, uh, set up, and, and he works by himself for himself, and he loves it. It suits him. And I know people who work for multinational corporations in surveying, and they do some amazing complex projects on, on a huge scale. And there are urban settings with their their own complexities, there are rural settings. And I think no matter who you are, if you like being outside, if you want a lifetime of learning and it will humble you, you will learn every day for sure. Um, if you want a lifetime of learning and something that's going to really allow you to serve the public in a really unique way, I think surveying would be something to definitely put on your list and, and learn more about. And I did put in the show notes, there's, um, I think it's mentoringmondays.xyz. It's a YouTube channel and it st started during the pandemic. I'm so glad it's there, but that's a really cool place to kind of dip your toe into what surveying is and, and sort of all the different branches of the tree that exist. Thanks so much for sharing that. And uh, my dad, our dad, and you are both surveyors and I had no idea that's the breadth in the field. I kind of just thought, you know... Somebody's out there with their tripod. They're looking at property boundaries because somebody wants to sell their house. Somebody wants to buy the house. And then you have to draw up the map, send it to the attorney, get approved, and then on to the next project. 5% of the occupation, maybe 5%. But if that's all you want to do 100% of the time, you can do that and, and you'll do well. So you, during that description, already shared a lot about the things you love. So let's hear a little bit about some of the downsides of surveying that our listeners should probably consider as well. Great question. I forgot about that one. Um, what are the things that challenge me? 
I mentioned earlier that I'm a person that just is very self-confident and self-assured. And I think the, the hardest thing for me about this work is also the most medicinal and it's the thing I need the most. And that is, and I mentioned it, like it will humble you. And I've really come to a place of learning how to wait to respond. That has been a huge lesson. Um, they say e, the E in email is for evidence. I think that in this era of text messaging and um, I'm probably aging myself here. Let's see. Well, Snapchat. Yeah, that's a thing. These sort of like ad-libbed, short, not thinking it through, like, you know, just regurgitations of the like most surface level thoughts in our mind, like hitting the internet and just existing there perpetually. I mean, that's kind of the era that we live in now. But when you're a professional in a legal and we, you know, surveying is, is certainly a branch of real estate law. We're not lawyers. We don't give legal advice, but we do participate in things with, with legal significance. We're fact finders. And, you know, everything you say is evidence, um, both to a client, you know, they call that parole evidence, verbal as evidence that's exchanged from a landowner um, to, to a surveyor or vice versa. And that, that's admissible in court. And any map that you put out the door can come back in the court of law and you may be asked to testify to what you did or a, a survey you had nothing to do with, you may be asked to testify as an expert witness and have to speak to the legal principles that govern this profession. So I think sort of honing your language and being able to, to cause in real estate, it's so high pressure. In, in the real estate market, which is primarily where our office works, we do a little bit of construction work and, and other things, but a lot of what we do is, is boundary surveying for real estate transactions. And that closing date is so vital to the people on the other side of the desk. But on our side of the desk, it's not just about that closing date. This survey map is going to live forever. And the decisions that we make are going to outlive us. And it's really important to do a good job. And we're not going to get everything right 100% of the time, but it's our responsibility to. And sometimes that takes time. And sometimes you have to have the hard conversations with clients or, or legal counsel to those clients that there is a title issue here that's going to take time to sort out. And even given that time, we, not, we might not get to an answer that's neat and clean and helps that closing go smoothly. But our job is to do a physical inspection of the property, both the record, the written evidence surrounding that property, and the physical evidence on that property, and to harmonize the two. And sometimes that harmonization is, is not always smooth. And that's the part for me that's been the hardest is, you know, wanting to do a good job, wanting to do so swiftly and help people get where they want to be with their transaction and, and sometimes just having to, to wait, to wait, to respond and resist the urge to want to help people in order to actually help them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that part has been the hardest personally for me is, is just having to kind of check myself in, in communication and make sure that I've spent enough time focused time really coming up with the right thing to say. I mean, what responsibility 
that is um, dealing with legal matters, not just your personal responsibility, but it's affecting the lives of, you know, the people involved in that conversation. And so this transitions really beautifully to the next question about what three skills do you think are essential for the job? Maybe it's being trustworthy and responsible, but what, what three skills would you say? Communication, number one, communication. And the part of communication that I've worked on greatly is listening and asking the right questions and understanding that the people answering those questions, again, have a different story than you and are taking their own time to answer it and to just be patient and let that person find, find their answer and to really, you know, let there be pause in conversation and, and really to, I mean, the diversity of people who own land. And again, I've, I've mentioned I'm primarily a boundary surveyor. So um, there are many other types of these conversations, but for me, a lot of the conversations that I'm having are with people who own land or, or their attorneys. Um, And that's a very wide spectrum of, of people. I think what's really important as a surveyor is to give every single person you're talking to like equal weight that their words have weight, uh, regardless of their educational background, their socioeconomic status, their education. Um, yeah, it's, it really just listening and, and giving people the chance to speak to things because the word parole evidence exists because, um, especially in the, former colonial states, sometimes deed language, it's ambiguous. And there are places where the intent of a document is not clear. And that parole evidence is there to help us as surveyors fill in those gaps and to shed some light on the ambiguities in a record document like a deed. And those landowners, you know, even if you can, you might write them off as a farmer who just likes to talk, but some of those stories they're telling you might have really important evidence that you need to consider about the history of that property and how you should interpret the language in that, that legal document. So, um, yeah, conversation is, is really important. Um, you asked me for three, I don't know. I, I really think it's all uh, communication. Another thing I would say is patience. It, it takes, Eight years to get licensed, uh, at least formally, the legislation in New York State has just changed. Um, this is a state licensing path, so it varies, but um, there used to be an experience-only pathway in New York State, which meant you don't need any formal education of any kind to be a surveyor. It's, a, it's an eight-year apprenticeship, and that's what it was until April of this year. And now the education board is, is asking for some education, either in a related field or in surveying strictly, but it's a long process to get licensed. The examination is grueling. There are three exams in New York state to be licensed. Two of those are federal exams and one is a state exam. So, um, and it's not really until after you're licensed where you're really going to make any real money uh, doing this. Um, I shouldn't say that ubiquitously. It really depends, but I think just having that patience and knowing that like you're playing the long game here and you really just have to, to settle into that because there's a reason it's eight years long because it really does take that long to understand how to communicate well about this, this field. It's just so nuanced and no two pieces of property are the same. 
no two record documents are the same and you certainly apply similar skills, but you're solving complex and diverse problems every single day. And it just takes time to get good at that. And not to mention that legal responsibility, right? It's not something that should be put on your shoulders in year one. Like you should be able to get a lot of experience with a plethora of troubleshooting projects um, so that you can have the confidence to be able to sign your name at the bottom of a map. And I think surveying is something that while formal education is so valuable and really important, being a surveyor is not something you're going to learn in a textbook. Um, it certainly will will give you a foundation to build on, but being a surveyor is something that takes a long time. And the only way to do it is to do it. Um, the only way to get there is, is through experience. And it's so funny how many employers of how many different occupations would agree with that statement. Yet, yet, we have these very strict educational requirements um, that seem to trump those, those qualities. And so that's really interesting. So Jackie, if you could do it all over again, you talked about having this very spiral path. Would you want to change that to a very straight path now that you know the destination or would you keep the spiral? Oh, a hundred percent. I would keep the spiral. I think if, if I had, you know, let's say I, I started surveying at age 15 and I just stuck with it and I had my four year degree and, and I stayed in this field the entire time. I know that the strength I have as a professional has really come from the diverse background that I've had and all of the different businesses that I've worked for and people that I've worked with have really bolstered my skills and giving me, giving me a new perspective to bring back to this company. And, you know, I'm certainly not the same person who, who left here originally. And I think it, it just is going to make this organization stronger in the long run. And it's just going to, it has made me a better professional to have seen how things are done in multiple industries, in multiple countries, in an urban versus rural setting. You know, all of those things have, have really synergized to, to help me be the professional I am today and, and certainly um, who I want to be tomorrow. So that brings up a great point. Because to be a good communicator means you need to meet a lot of people that communicate differently so that you can communicate with the diverse range of people. So it makes sense to have that life experience that takes you outside of this bubble into other areas so that for you being um, a boundary surveyor, you're focused on all these clients that essentially you know, are homeowners, which vary dramatically in terms of their occupations and life experiences, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's just a really good illustration of it's okay to take a spiral path. It's okay to come full circle if that's, if that's the journey you're meant to be on. So Jackie, can you share, you've shared so many great resources. We'll make sure to put in the show notes as well. But is there anything else that comes to mind that you think would be valuable to our listeners? If you want to be a surveyor um, or even think, hey, that sounds cool. I'd like to know more. Uh, chances are there's a surveyor in, in your zip code that you could call. And uh, you know, quick search engine search could land you there. Um, there's also 
most states have professional organizations. Ours is called Nice Apples, New York State Association of Professional Land Surveyors. And they have a directory there where you can actually search by zip code and find someone near you. I would recommend just giving them a call and having a conversation and asking them what they do, because that would actually be a refreshing conversation for most surveyors to have, I think. So reach out to someone locally. Um, I would certainly be happy to have a conversation personally with anyone interested in, in perhaps learning more or pursuing surveying for themselves. And I think another area of that would be if you really are serious about pursuing surveying and you're not quite ready to, to sign up for an educational program that's a two or four year commitment, go on a shadow day. Really just go onto a job site with a surveyor and shadow them for the day and ask questions of them. I think you will find that people are are very generous and open with what they know and want to show people what they do. So I would say, you know, use your use your local surveyor as a resource um, in, if you're interested in pursuing something further. And gosh, don't we know, like you said, we have all these folks aging out of surveying. They need to pass their knowledge on to somebody. All right. So as we wrap up, are there any last words of advice for our listeners, which again are students and early career professionals who may be considering land surveying? Yeah, I think I've sprinkled in a lot of advice in here unsolicited throughout this entire interview. Um, If I had to boil it down, I'm sort of asking, like, what would I tell myself at that age? Oh, I think... I think where I'm landing with that is just to trust yourself. There's this voice that you may have drowned out through the expectations of people in your life for your future, but there's this voice inside of you that knows the way. And all you have to do is quiet down enough to listen and to distinguish that voice from all of the others that are not yours. And that inner voice will never steer you wrong. What a beautiful message to end on. If you want to hear more from Jackie, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash diverse roots and become a patron for this podcast. Not only will you get to listen to the extended interview with Jackie, but you'll also get to see her as it's a video interview. By becoming a patron, you will also gain access to Jackie's contact information so you can reach out directly with any follow-up questions you may have. Like Jackie experienced, are you at a loss as to what career is right for you? A career coach can help you navigate this common experience. Feel free to schedule a free career coaching session with me by going to successinsciencecc.com. Or perhaps you know someone that really should listen to this episode. I encourage you to share it with them. You never know how it might inspire someone. You can also leave a review for this podcast so that it becomes more readily searchable for those in need of some additional career support. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's certainly one I will go back and listen to when I need a little inspiration. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Diverse Roots. Never forget your career journey is as unique as you are. Stay true to your values and journey on. And know that you don't have to journey alone. If you're overwhelmed by career options or feel like your applications are getting overlooked, Success in Science Career Coaching is here to help. Schedule your free inquiry session today at successinsciencecc.com.
Until next time, bye-bye.